Welcome to episode 24 of Design Much, how to elevate your research game with Danielle Green. Well, Danielle, thanks for coming to the podcast. Really excited to have you. Thanks for having me. And um, when we first were talking about like um, topics, you mentioned the idea of basic versus advanced research processes, and um, like what is it, what what does each one look like? And I thought that was really interesting. So um, can we kind of start off? Can you describe what a basic research process looks like? Oh, gee. So this is a question that I get a lot. Is um is this distinction between Mm -hmm. sort of leveling up your research game. And when I think of basic research, uh, basic in terms of like the level one, right? Like where everybody starts. I always think of where I started at like scrappy startups where you're just getting your stuff in front of users and it's not very systematic. Maybe it's usability testing or maybe it's more like a demo plus interview questions mm-hmm. yeah. uh, where you're just trying to trying to fail a little bit faster by getting information from folks as best you can. So I'd say like that's where we all start. Okay. Awesome. So yeah, it's very, very basic and there's kind of a lot of different ways you can go about or that you've seen that people are doing to do that, right? Um, so what would you say to those who are currently in, um, employing less of a research process than what you just described? Like people that are <laughs> not doing too much of any of that. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess we can call that ground zero, which is, <laughs> it ends up being just arguing, right? Most of the time. Or, <clears throat> excuse me, my friend, my friend said, or my friend looked at this. Um, but even that starts, you can start to get uh, that scrappy level research if you're just roping in some of your friends. So. What would I say about level zero? Yeah, what would you say to those people? Well, gee, let's get to level one. Let's get to level yeah. one. Yeah. All right. Let's just step step <laughs> one little step. What would be the first thing you, what, what would be like if if it's just like, hey, I'm taking this home to my wife to show my wife or p- other people in the audience or, you know, over Slack sending it to a buddy. Like what would be the one like skill or thing you would tell them to do to kind of dip their toe in the water? Hmm. I'm The one thing. Because the first thing I thought was, if you you want to know what you're testing, right? And you want to know, um, a lot of people start out with maybe a set of questions, and they're asking those questions to the same people. But I don't know that that's the one thing. Maybe the one thing is just to sit and listen and not say anything. Yeah. <laughs> because that's what we all do, right? Is we, yeah. We'll throw something in front of a friend, and then we'll tell them all about how... Describe the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just... just uh, the art of silence, maybe. I like that a lot. Yeah, just, That's just shut up and listen. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Nobody does that. Nobody? No. Nobody, Patrick? No. Okay. <laughs> what do you think? We all should do that. <laughs> we all should do that, but I don't think I don't think anybody really does that. I don't think I don't think really anybody, anybody does that naturally. Yeah, naturally. naturally. Yes. So it's, it's a tough thing hard. to master. And in fact, the silent stare can get you a lot in life if you can master the silent stare. Um, but specifically in tests, uh, <laughs> you'll get more information because the participant is just like you, right? They just want to fill that silence. So they're going to start giving mm-hmm. you a bunch of really good nuggets because you're just allowing them to feel, fill the space up. So... I like that. That's awesome, yeah. Is there a, a specific technique, technique to the silent stare? Like, are you giving him a certain face when you're doing it? I would like to see your silent stare. Uh, depends on the situation. <laughs> I have silent stared some executives, and I try to keep a, a neutral to puzzled face. Um, nice. But with my participants, I'm usually like a pleasant smile around the eyes, but nothing forced, forced teeth yeah. or anything like that. So just like a... That's a good one. I'm Thank feeling you. it. Okay, like with, like with the head tilt, kind of. Yeah, uh, you know, if they're talking, I, like I give them a head head yeah. tilt validation. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. That that would be like an entire like uh, lunch UX thing is how to not respond to your. Oh my gosh, can we? Yes, that would be sweet. <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be so great. 
That'd be awesome. And you we should just, we should totally do that. Yeah, this is our next one. We should totally do it. Yeah. And then the person who's just presenting just gets up and asks a question. <laughs> they just demonstrate yeah. how to not how so to what, not do what that. are you doing in February? <laughs> that <laughs> what are you doing in February? I don't know. We're trying we're trying to schedule a lunch UX in February. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be a fun time. We'll 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 work out the details on that one. Because I think that'd be sweet. Yeah. Like the little tiny things. Yeah, because anyway. I, I think that, that's hard. That's like a very social aspect of research, right? Mm-hmm. And as Patrick said, it's not something that comes natural. So, yeah, learning those those small things, I think, would be pretty helpful. So that's really great. Perfect. So let's let's move on a little bit and let's let's get into, let's define what an advanced research process looks like to you. All right, advanced. So n- maybe not like master level. Sure. But um, advanced. Well, uh, some of the core components that I always view is you have a regular cadence of in-person or remote testing, depending on the situation. So just that regular time frame of every two weeks or once a quarter or whatever, we do this thing. That's a really good uh, indicator of advanced. Um, also scripts. So mm-hmm. having that systematic set of questions that you're asking every, or at least intending to ask every single user in the same order, having that be very thoughtful. Um, so scripts, uh, for interviews and usability tests, documentation is another one. Um, maybe this is more mastery level, but I wish it were a little more advanced level. <laughs> of having documentation around every test that you conduct and what happened and uh, making sure that stakeholders can access that information. Uh, that's a really good indicator as well. Okay. Those are all really cool. Yeah. You know, I think people tend <clears throat> to get focused on methods a lot. So um, I get a lot of questions about like, um, are we advanced if we do card sorting, <laughs> you know, yeah. specific questions like that. And uh, methods are always determined by the question that you have. So you can run a master level research team on just user interviews, depending on your product, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I totally just uh, ignore the, the methodology question uh, because it's all about uh, your process mm-hmm. piece. It's more and of the depth involved, maybe? Yeah. yeah, and just fitting, fitting the right methods to the situation. Because I think that's where we fall short sometimes. Is, uh, we'll interview where maybe we should be doing a formal usability test, or we will uh, try to make everything into a usability test when maybe we should just run a survey, something like that. Okay. Awesome. So, um, what are the differences in terms of outcomes for basic versus advanced? So, if we're employing all of those, you know, those tools that you mentioned in advanced. What sort of differences would I actually see? Yeah. So the outcome, one of the biggest outcomes is the standard uh, report or documentation, whatever you want to call it. Um, So let's go back to scrappy startup land. Mm -hmm. Uh, you, You run out to a coffee shop, six users see something, you come back, and usually the outcome of that is like you tell the product manager, how it went, or maybe they were there with you and you just agree on mm-hmm. some decision and then that decision gets made right then and there. Um, the problem with that is it leads to a lot of repeats over time where you conducted a test maybe a year ago or nine months ago and no one can really remember the outcome of that test. So um, that's where documentation is your best friend. I know, right? How unagile of me. But um, <laughs> we won't tell any developers. Thanks. Um, but the outcomes at the advanced level are, look like hopefully really uh, a lot of templates that you're using and you're just putting filling in that information hmm. over and over again because you don't want your, your stakeholders to have to learn the format every time you, you communicate something to them. Uh, so, so standardized reports and i say reports as everybody knows this whoever talks to me a report is one page and it's usually five bullet points or fewer for me 
So I have details, and no one ever wants to see those details. They want the one pager. Okay. Um, So that's what I view as a a good outcome for for research. What about about six bullet points? You know, I'll let the sixth slide if it's really (laughs) relevant, but I try to keep it to five or fewer. In fact, usually it's three. Like, I try to keep it to five, and when I'm doing that distill process, it ends up being three. You don't even nice. need five. Don't even need five. Yeah. So is, is it because by the time you're reading the fourth one, you already forgot what the first one was? <laughs> Pretty much, okay. right? I mean, well, part of my, a huge part of my job is just communicating and evangelizing and internal marketing of findings, right? Okay. So if I can't remember what those things were, if I can't remember that users like A or users hate B, then how is anybody else supposed to remember that stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So yeah, so it sounds like advanced versus basic, you're actually able to report really well all of your findings, right? And share and communicate that content. As you said, like the main part of your job is communicating that those findings. Yes. And if you're doing the more basic stuff, you're just kind of like, okay, we'll make a quick decision here. And you probably aren't going to remember why you made that decision at all right. because you didn't document it, right? Yep. Awesome. Feels like it kind of becomes a telephone game a little bit too. Yes. Because it just happened in this one place, and then this other team hears that you went and did it, and then somebody from that team tells that team, but then it's like it's like whatever they thought it was. Oh, yeah. It's their interpretation. And that can happen no matter how good you are at reporting and actually getting those findings on paper somewhere or on a confluence page or whatever you have. Uh, that still happens, right? Because so few people are going to actually go and read I, I view it as it's really up to the researcher to go out and be pushing to everybody, hmm. pushing communications. Um, so usually when people come up against huge roadblocks, it's because they're thinking that their job is done once they've completed a test or written up a report. But it's it's just begun, my friend. It's just begun. <laughs> yeah. So how, how do you push that then? How do you push it out? Like if we have, because we have like nine squads here. So that's nine designers, nine PMs, a bunch of developers. Like, how do you push that out to everyone? Depends on the org um, and the culture, but like I've seen a weekly or even monthly one pager newsletter uh, work really well. Just showing up in your email inbox first thing on a Monday morning or uh, first thing on a Friday, sometime when people typically allow for reading. Um, so newsletters have worked for us in the past, uh, a regular meeting. So we do like lunch and learns, you have lunch for a team and you're presenting there. If you, um, have an end of sprint or beginning of sprint meeting that you can get in on where lots of product and development is in the same room, that's good. Uh, quarterly reviews, weekly or quarterly business reviews, you should be there pushing all of those findings owning the findings and pushing them out always do you have you ever run into any roadblocks or problems with people not being interested um when you push information out (laughs) everyone's interested until the findings aren't what they thought they'd be (laughs) uh people love to say that they love research right but um occasionally you get well and maybe it's that they're more interested after the fact because suddenly they really are curious about, well, what methods did you use and how many people saw it and uh-huh. all that yeah. kind of stuff, right? It's the whole, wait a minute, are you sure this didn't match up with yes. what I thought? Yeah. And this is where documentation can be your best friend because if you have this this regular, let's just, let's just use Confluence for an example because I know a lot of people use Jira and Confluence. So let's just say Confluence is your repository for research. And I'm not saying that's ideal, but... Um, if everybody knows that they can go into Confluence at any time and find uh, how many people, what you said, the script, notes, video recordings, and whatnot, um, suddenly, suddenly their ammunition is gone in those moments where they're pushing back against mm-hmm. your research because uh, they know they can go and access all that stuff. Um, so it's it's kind of your best friend. It kind of saves you in a yeah. lot of situations. Oh, that's a good point. That's really cool. All right, so 
Um, it, so now we know kind of the differences between ground zero and basic mm -hmm. versus advanced, right? Yeah. Um, so how do I know when it's time to begin advancing? Like from, let's say from basic to advanced, how do I know when I'm supposed to start doing that? Yeah. <laughs> well, we should always be trying to advance, right? I mean, I'm wherever I am, I'm always trying to take it to the next level. And I think that's just kind of what product minded people do. So, mm -hmm. um, but I think a lot of the times, like I'll talk to folks who are in a startup and they don't have the resources uh, to hire somebody to do research. So somebody, usually it's one person who's doing design and maybe product management and as much research as they can fit into their schedule or maybe none at all. Maybe they're doing some competitive analysis or something like that. And um, even if their heart is totally in it and they really want to be doing that research stuff, it's one of the first things to fall away in a lot of cases. Um, so, so yeah, so the question being like, when should you make it a priority? When should you take it to the advanced level? To me, it's uh, it's two things. One's a funny thing and one's a serious thing. Uh, the, the serious thing is risk, right? So how risky is a project? Uh, because if you're, if you're looking at a high-risk project, then you need to be doing advanced-level research to mitigate that risk, hands down. The second thing is who's arguing about it, hmm. right? Hmm. So is the CEO and the CTO, are they arguing about what, what design approach should be taken or what feature should be implemented? Uh, if they're arguing about it, you might want to consider some more advanced um, research tactics because... It's possible it's a high-risk situation, whether that's business risk or social risk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, who's arguing about it? So how big of a deal is it is just based on risk and where those arguments are happening? Definitely. And if there's arguments involved, then there's like that confirmation bias involved too. Oh, totally. And you're probably going to want that documentation to back up your decisions, I yes. imagine, right? Yes, that's really cool. Just mediate, right? Like, oh yeah. Well, research is a great mediator. That's a good. Uh, you bring up a really good point because um, documentation. We're, okay, we're always so so concerned about bias, right? I hear it all the time. How do we conduct unbiased research, mm -hmm. and how do we avoid bias in our interviews, and how do we avoid bias here and there? And I totally get that, and I and I do that, and we should all be thinking about bias. But the real true enemy in research is not bias. It's, it's actually more like shame. It's like I conducted an interview and I asked a biased question and I know it. Uh, and I feel such shame around it that I'm not going to provide that video recording to anybody else in the business <laughs> for fear that they're going to uh, call me out yeah. on it, right? Hmm. Call me out on, on my biased thing. The fact of the matter is there's always bias in everything you do. Yeah. So you can try to help steer the bus away from bias town, but you really can't omit bias from anything. Um, so the better thing to do is just to be really transparent. And that transparency is your best friend because then when you deliver a set of insights to somebody... Uh, they can say, oh, look, uh, we asked a couple of biased questions. It's, it's here in the documentation. Whoops. You know, we were a little leading here and there. Mm -hmm. So now I know to take that with a grain of salt. And when I'm uh, evaluating risk over here, I can say, okay, you know, even with those biased leading questions here and there, it's still mitigating enough risk. I feel comfortable taking, taking this approach. Or no way, man, redo it. Redo the whole thing. Um, and and it's that transparency that we're that's killing us because we're so afraid of bias that we're not being transparent with each other. Yeah, it probably prevents a lot of people from even doing research, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Because they're so scared about. Yeah, that they can't do it right. The results. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the that's the part I'm trying to. That's the wall I'd like to break down for people. Is just it's not about doing research right. It's not about completely removing bias from the equation. Uh, your face is going to bias people. The things you're wearing is going to bias people. Are you going to change those things? Of course not. So just getting uh, getting past that and just being really transparent about yeah. that kind of thing. Huh. I like that. Yeah, that's interesting. I never, I never really thought, of that. Yeah. thought about that. Your face is biasing. <sighs> I 
I know. Well, I, so, it, I've changed it four times for you, Andy. Let me clarify. Four times. <laughs> let me clarify. So, like, I work <laughs> in a, a largely women's uh, e-commerce platform, right? So, women's apparel, women's accessories, and shoes and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a researcher on my team who's male. And when he interviews women, especially on, in remote sessions... It's one way and you can tell they're a little bit uncomfortable and they don't know if they're being scammed whenever we try to get mm. customers on yeah. Zoom, right, to talk to us about what's in your closet. <laughs> I just have, for better or for worse, he's actually far more fashionable than I am, but, but I just have more rapport with these women. So, like, they'll take me into their closet and go, oh, look, I got this from Target and da 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 but they won't do that with him. So yeah, there's bias sense. there. That makes total sense. Yeah, it's not his fault, and he's not going to stop being a researcher <laughs> for it. Awesome. We did that at a, previ- a previous company that I worked at. We would all go, like, we were encouraged when we went out and did contextual inquiry from, like, our marketing team to, like, wear our gear, you know, like our company gear. And I remember it, like, I can't remember, like, I remember the moment. I can't remember who it is, but somebody was, like, we could tell they were trying to, like, make us feel good yep because we had just given them swag and we were wearing our shirts and like they were wearing a shirt with our logo on it and it was like okay something's wrong here <laughs> totally <laughs> like they're not answering this correctly they're not being honest about this it's so good that you recognize that because <laughs> we don't recognize these kinds of things all the time so that's why if you were to record those sessions maybe you didn't recognize it at the time but somebody, some stakeholder is going to watch it and go, mm, I don't know yeah. about this one. Seems weird. Yeah. Huh. So much. See? So don't worry about bias. Yeah, man. What have I done? What have I done? Forget about it. <laughs> no, I'm going to get kidding. a bunch of people like, well, I can just say whatever I want <laughs> and tell them this product is awesome, right? Give them all the would you questions. Yeah. <laughs> If we build this, would you use it? Would yeah, you use it? I would use it a lot. <laughs> How much would you use it? Yeah. Sweet. Oops. Okay. We can bring those questions back, Andy. Did you hear that? Yeah, I've had those. I, I always write them down. And I have to erase them, so it's really nice to save <laughs> yeah. a lot of time hitting that delete button. So that's great. Good to know. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> Created a monster. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so... But a transparent monster. Yeah, very, very see-through monster. <laughs> now, I want to know, like, what, what step, steps do I actually need to start taking to actually... So I'm in basic. Mm-hmm. Um, we know kind of when now, when we want to start transitioning. Um, what steps should I actually start taking? What is my first step? I want to start becoming an advanced researcher here. What do I do? Sure. Uh, one of the biggest tedious things that people forget about is just sourcing users so how are you going to get those people what does that look like Mm -hmm. are you going to compensate them if not what motivation do they have to participate in any of your tests or interviews so uh getting that out of the way just sourcing users (laughs) um is a big hurdle for a lot of people so After that, um, sitting in a room with anybody who cares about the project, so maybe that's PM and UX and maybe that's a tech leader or whoever, um, sitting in a room and coming up with what that script should look like is a really good one for each project. It doesn't take long uh, to come up with something, but but just kind of getting that up up and running is a good good way to do it. And... um, what I always tell people is that if you're not really sure whether you should be asking something, uh, pretend you asked it to five or ten people and just play around with fake answers to see if you're going to get the insight that you actually wanted to get. So fake data is actually like another huge chunk of my job is just providing fake data to show people that that's really not the question that they care about or uh, those that really is the number that they that they are going to care about the end. So that's really cool. Yeah. Fake, <laughs> fake data and uh, biased, <laughs> <laughs> biased questions. I think, oh, I think I'm on a roll. <laughs> awesome. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I think it'll help you like inform is this, is this the right question? So I think that's really cool. Yes. Um, 
So that's awesome. So um, I want to dig a little bit deeper into sourcing because, as you said, that's a kind of a big hurdle that you have to leap. So how do you actually go about doing that? Because I've, I've had this problem before, like when I first started UX and we hadn't been doing that, um, I didn't know how to start. Yeah. Gosh, sometimes the biggest thing is just identifying who your target audience is. Okay. And that's another can of worms, right, sure. when it comes to research. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of people, um, when they go out to test something, let's just talk about maybe some basic UX flow you're trying to test. There are cases where you need your actual primary target user. Uh, and then there are cases where just any old brain will do. So mm -hmm. um, in, in terms of like our thinking about just UI, for example, are people going to read this as a toggle? Uh, any old brain will do for that question for the most part, right? So uh, can people see uh, what I'm trying to communicate with this icon? Like any old brain will do. So in those cases, you can really get, um, go through like guerrilla testing. So just go to the other department that doesn't really sit with product or whatever sure, and yeah. just get some people's eyes on it, coffee shops, uh, things like that. I've had things where I actually incentivize employees to uh, message their friends to sign up for research. Hmm. So I'll make some like, I don't know, like a Calendly or even just a Google spreadsheet and have people sign up for times. But I source through in, in scrappy situations, you can source through your employees. Yeah. Um, so that, that kind of thing works. Of course, there are like nice spendy agencies you can go through to do this as well. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so just kind of trying to find something that works, right? So first you're, you want to define what you want to test and what you need to know. Then that's going to help to help you a little bit, at least to find who you're testing with, right? Yeah. And then from there, you just kind of need to figure out how to get those people. Right. Because <laughs> it probably depends <laughs> well, differently for the project, right? Yeah. So we call it, we call it a screener, right? Where yeah. you're just trying to figure out who you need. What maybe you maybe you like your target you, user, and they have a set of characteristics about them. But maybe for this particular test, you only need somebody who really likes to shop online mm -hmm. or you only need somebody with with a subset of that those persona characteristics or demographics or something so just finding that lowest common denominator uh, can be really helpful and a lot easier on you because typically the more extensive your screener the longer it's going to take and the more expensive it's going to be for you mm. okay yeah that, that totally makes sense yeah, yeah. On the, on the on the user tester type people like these these agencies have pools of user testers that they pay and all that stuff um, what's your take on that like is that is that is that a good thing to use like these kind of trained people to look for these things or do you just want somebody who's like normal to look for these things <laughs> yeah no that's it's a really good point because it's a it's sort of a problem actually as we get more global and everything's online and all these unmoderated sessions right um luckily a lot of these a lot of these agencies and third parties are starting to record things for you so you can really assess the integrity of the interaction yeah. um on a case-by-case -case basis and i'm a control freak so when i go through third parties i am always a real stickler for like uh, for recordings and whatnot but uh, I've also done, I've also had some skepticism around, let's just say I, I ran a study through some un unmoderated testing website and then I, uh, I get the results back and I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to hold up or if these people were just a certain type of person. So just go get five people or go get 10 people. And if it's still the same directional trend, it calms me down and it calms my stakeholders huh. down too right like i'll just put that right in there because if i had the question they're gonna have the question so yeah combo it right that works yeah combo it. combo <laughs> it take that in a combo all right sweet um and was there anything else um so you mentioned like um figuring out your audience and like sourcing your audience and also sitting in a room and writing out the script yeah. Were there any other steps um, that you would take 
like what was there anything that was next in terms of heading towards the direction of advanced research that you wanted to mention? So I'm not very popular sometimes because I actually will encourage and lead like role play practice sessions with the group. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine? And I do. And somehow <laughs> I have no friends. Um, <laughs> so like if, if there's a designer, let's just say we have to get something done in two weeks. And to do that, we have to divide and conquer. Or we're in some contextual situation where now we've got a group of users. Um, it's a, it's, let's just say it's like B2B and we need to divide this floor of users and, and some needs to go watch the, those people or whatever. So, so I will actually like sit and role play uh, an interview with a designer or a product manager or sometimes even like leadership this has happened mm. one or two times and gosh i'm just not not very popular <laughs> but it's helpful because it uh it takes the mystery out of it for them mm -hmm. <clears throat> which is good you don't want you don't want that to be in in the in the wild right <clears throat> but also uh it's uh, sometimes I'll just say, hey, everybody, this first user, it's just a practice user. We're not even going to record it. And it just gives people that opportunity to start feeling comfortable with the technique because let's face it, it is awkward sometimes. And if yeah. you have a bunch of introverted people who aren't used to talking to users, they're going to have really strange body language. They're going to stutter. They're going to stare at their script too much if they're just not comfortable. So. Yeah. It's, it's seriously, it's, it's about making the user comfortable, but it's also just about making those stakeholders who are involved really comfortable with the situation too. Hmm. Oh, that's cool. Kind of break the ice a little bit. Yep. So you don't ask, would you rather questions to, uh, to do that? <laughs> to break the ice. Yeah. <laughs> hmm, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try that next time. Yeah. So yeah, just to one. clarify, we haven't been recording this one at all. This is the first yeah. this is a practice interview. Oh, nice. So after we're done here, we'll do the real interview. Okay, great. So we were just role-playing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, joke's on me. <laughs> so I hope you have some time. Serves me right, honestly. As you can tell, because this wasn't very professional at all. <laughs> yeah. No, this is real. Streaming live. Oh, right nice. Now. Streaming cool. live. Yep. No. See, I, I'll just roll with it, whatever it is. <laughs> Although in my role play sessions, like I'll put on fake glasses and a funny hat. Oh, like nice. a fedora and stuff. No. You're like, hmm. No, I'm but I hope someone like takes that and actually does it with their team. <laughs> just because I said That would be great. You're like, okay, we're gonna do a practice interview on this user. I'll be right back. And then you walk out and come back with like a really terrible disguise. Oh, on. yeah. That's great. I will say I do I do the, um, yeah, good times in product land. Um, I do the, I try to role play the difficult user. Mm. And that always gets people frustrated. Bad user, good user. Like worst case scenario yes. sort of thing. Like nice. they're scared and they're just giving you hmms and mm-hmms <laughs> and things like that. Or they're asking too many questions of you because that's where the, the stone face comes in where you'll say, where would you go on this page to do X and X and Y? Like, um, how might you do that? And then they'll go, would I go here? And <laughs> yeah. they'll look at you. And two, I mean, nine times out of 10, any human being will just go, yeah, you do go there. Because we just can't not yeah. validate. Or, did I do it? Mm -hmm. Did I do it right? And you're like... I don't know. Yeah. I'm not testing you or testing. <laughs> yeah, you have to have those like canned responses. <laughs> um, and they're like, thanks, robot. Yeah. I've, more. I've played dumb a lot <laughs> just to have that scapegoat. So, like, I don't know. They hired me to test this. <laughs> I've totally done that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they calm way down. They're like, oh, well, to be honest, I don't even know what this button does. Like, gee, me neither, but I'm writing it down. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you're changing, like, you're changing your research process, process essentially, right? Um, are there any pitfalls that you have experienced when kind of making that transition into something new? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, change is hard. Um, you know, I, 
I try to continually orient myself to the big picture because you can, when you're trying to change, I've done this a lot where I've come into an organization, they've had little to no research and I've had to spin up a research process and uh, I get a kick out of that. So I keep doing it. But, um, but it's one of those things where on the day to day level, you can start really bogging yourself down with uh, not winning at that day-to-day level hmm. because it's such a huge change. I mean, think about um, think about when we try to change a development process or have you ever had to switch tools before as a team, like switch product management tools or switch development tools? It's quite the effort. And usually everybody knows that it's happening and there's some cheesy workshop around it or something. Um but a lot of the time that doesn't happen when you're trying to create a, an advanced research process for an organization. So, um, so yeah, there's a lot of challenges in that process. Um, I do a lot of listening for the first several weeks where I, where I get one-on-one with almost every single member of product and try to figure out what their perspective is, um, how, how they feel about research, what research has been done, uh, where those resources might be hiding, like someone's been documenting something and it's on their hard drive or something. Um, so just trying to get my get a feel for the situation. And I will seriously have like a one-note page. It's like I'm a stalker. I'll have a one-note page on every stakeholder. Nice. Yeah. So uh, just trying to get that, that feel. But then I, I map out what the process should look like based on all of those things. And then I try really hard to deliver and communicate that back to everybody. So I will hold cheesy workshop. Let's talk about research. This is what it's going to look like. And what are you going to do? And everybody hold up your pink sticky note. Now we're going to take your green sticker and put it. And yeah, that's exactly. So I'll hold some pretty cheesy workshops just to get everybody on board with uh, A, that there is a change Mm -hmm. and B, that they are a voice in what's happening. Um, so that they're not resistant to the process that just comes at them out of nowhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Awesome. I like that a lot. It's kind of a dodgy way of saying, uh, be careful out there. Yeah. Well, I, I imagine, yeah, you'll get a lot of pushback and you'll get like, and you could make plenty of mistakes. So I really like how you're communicating with everybody um, and trying to understand their perspective and communicate the change that's coming. So that's really cool. Awesome. And so do you have anything else that you want to add that we haven't asked you yet about basic versus advanced research? Mm, You know, I think I've, I think I've really captured the industry by saying we should all not care about bias (laughs) and ask leading (laughs) questions and um, use fake data. So I think I'll uh, just away. stop right there. Yeah. <laughs> drop some mic and walk away. As long as you're doing all that with a fake mustache on, you're going to be fine. That's the ideal, yeah. yeah. Well, Andy, that was another great conversation. It's good to be back. It's 2019. 2019. 2019. We're a month in. Yeah. It's February now. This this episode, it's it's been taking us this long, like mm-hmm. two months, basically. This was an epic episode. We had Danielle Green on, and this is a big episode. User research. Um, good conversation. If you guys want to continue the conversation, you know where to go to. You go to designmuch.org. And then you leave a comment there. Uh, contact us, you know, whatever you want to talk about it, chat. It's not a big deal. If you think this topic would benefit uh, another designer or let's say another user researcher or you're a designer and you have a user researcher on your team that's doing the wrong things and you listen to this <laughs> and you're like, he, they need to correct that person. Danielle <laughs> needs, to, needs to correct this person. Then send the podcast their way. Um, or send them to your team, right? Feel yeah. free to share it uh, and give them and get them involved in the conversation as well. Um, the podcast is available on Spotify. Is it? Are all the episodes on Spotify yet? I don't know. Spotify <laughs> is a mess. May or may not be on all on Spotify. Yeah, That's a great question. may or may not be on Spotify. So check it out. Let us know. 
Uh, Design Much t-shirts are out. Selling like hotcakes, dude. Yeah. Go grab Boxes some before of orders. they're gone. We had to take... We took December off to be with our families and friends. And then we took January off just to box up all the t-shirts to ship them out. Yeah, you, you have friends, Patrick? Well, I assume your friends. Okay. I kind of put us together. Just, that was, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. I barely have family, okay. let alone friends. Well, I'm sorry. One thing at a time, Andy. Yeah. Uh, but you can go to... They're on Threadless. You can go to designmuch.threadless.com. Uh, and then we got Lunch UX. If you haven't been to one of the Lunch UX's little hands-on workshop uh, here in the Utah region, um, we got another Lunch UX coming up. So make sure you go to meetup.com slash Lunch UX. Space is limited. So. Yeah, space will be limited again. Yeah. Um, so, Andy, <clears throat> good conversation. Good. Uh, what did you learn, sir? There, there's a lot in there for sure that I learned. And um, the first thing that I want to talk about is like um, kind of her answer to, as to when you should know when you need to start doing advanced research. Mm-hmm. So I thought this would be really helpful for everybody, you know, to, to have a call out here again, of course. But basically, you'll know you need to start employing basically an advanced research process, you know, such as scripts and documentation, as she mentioned, when your project is really high risk for your company. Um, or it even involves decisions that high-level individuals are arguing about. Mm-hmm. So at that point, you're going to want to involve like scripts and documentation so that you can make sure you're doing the right thing. Um, another thing as well is like we talked a lot about um, how you start moving into the advanced level of research. And she had a lot of great steps. Um, initially, like you start by f- sourcing your users, the people you want to um, to research with, essentially. And you can identify that audience based on um, what you want to know, the answers you want to get. And then you, so you define them and then just try to go find them however you can. Um, next up, of course, is you're going to write that research script. This will be helpful for making sure you're getting consistent data. Um, and I really liked how she said that as you write the script out, you try to answer the questions yourself and basically generate a lot of fake data um, to make sure those questions you initially put down are the ones will give you the answers that you're, that you're actually looking for, essentially. Yeah. So I thought that was really a awesome. trial run, right? Yeah. Um, lots of fake data. So that was sweet. Um, and she also mentioned role-playing interviews. This is, <laughs> <laughs> this is great. Um, I think this would be hard to do for sure, making people role-play with you when you're doing interviews, but it's a good way to practice that script and get people comfortable with what they're about to do in the research process and the team. Mm-hmm. And um, she also mentioned this is a really important part of her job. And Once you've documented your findings, you've gotten all that information ready to go, you need to communicate it to everybody as much as you can. And there's lots of ways that she does it. She does like email newsletters. She does regular cadence meetings um, like lunch and learns and our quarterly reviews. So all those things are like really important when you're researching. Um, and as you have that, you have more of an advanced research process and you're able to mitigate that risk that comes with, you know, designing a product. Yeah. I like what she said about the regular, <clears throat> like a, have a, having a regular cadence of reviewing the research results yeah. and the findings and having something that's predictable for, for the people that are consuming that. Mm-hmm. Like she said, the one page, like the, the one page report, that's always the same. Yeah, the three to five yeah. bullet points and maybe six. Yeah, right? and it doesn't change. Yeah, maybe six. And it doesn't change much, right? It doesn't, it, like, she doesn't use a different format. It's the same format mm-hmm. every time. Um, yeah, no, it was, th- that information is really good. The one thing that really surprised me was that I'm apparently biased because of your face. <laughs> because of my face, Patrick? I know you brought up the, I'm totally, you're totally biased because of my face. Yeah. So What's apparently this? I'm biased because of your face. Cute face, man. You bias this whole entire podcast with your face. <laughs> um, I did like, though, she talked about bias. And I've heard this before, that we get so focused on bias that it kind of hurts research. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really know why. And I loved how she said it's shame. Like <laughs> yeah. the real, She said the real enemy of research is shame. And that's like, you're so scared to be biased, to be a human, that you... Like it, it prevents you from doing research adequately. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd rather it. mix in, you'd rather just accept the bias and then recognize it. I like how she said, be very transparent mm-hmm. and understand that bias will happen, recognize it. And then you can figure out what to do with it. Like yeah. after that, right? Like 
Oh, we know this is biased. We know these first couple answers are biased, but overall, this interview was really good, and we got some good stuff from it. So yeah. I, li- I like that awareness. Um, and that's kind of what Nate Sanders said, too, when we had him on talking about confirmation bias, was making sure that you're not – like, you're never going to remove it completely, um, but make sure from the very beginning you're aware of it. Yeah. So – yeah, it's good stuff. And that makes me think of as well as like the people that you're bringing in, like they have their biases too. Mm-hmm. And like you shouldn't just recognize yours, but also theirs yeah. as well. And I guess that will help you, yeah, as you said, just decide what data you're going to pick from. Yeah. Basically. Well, just like the story she kind of told of like a dude coming into to a woman's closet <laughs> yeah. and being like, oh, yeah, let's go take a look at your closet. You know, like that's like there's going to be some weird bias there mm-hmm. toward that guy coming in and. Yeah, how they, you know, how it's all presented. So um, I, I really like what she said about methods. She said a lot of people get worried that, like, am I an expert designer if I do card sorts or tree things or whatever, like, whatever it is, whatever method it is, am I an expert when I do these things? And she's like, no, you're, you know, that doesn't necessarily make you an expert researcher or level up your game. It's more about figuring out what situation belongs. Like, maybe it's just a couple of surveys you need to send out. Or maybe it is a card sort, or maybe it is a contextual inquiry. Like mm-hmm. whatever the method is, um, you want to level up your game is to try to define what your situation is going to be, yeah, and what information you're looking for, rather than just picking a method. Um, <clears throat> she said, "Good idea to keep a regular place to house all of your research." So that goes in with like the uh, like what you said, regular place. I like what she said about if you have a regular place to store all the research, you give them the report, but they know where all of your research is and you're not hiding it from them. So there's no mystery. Mm-hmm. So if they do have a question, they can go see it themselves if they need to, or you could share more with them. Um, and they, they can be proactive about that and look at it. Um, I thought that was an interesting, that's something that I've, I've never done. Usually you take your research, it's on your computer and then you compile your report and send it off. Right. Yeah. But um, yeah, we usually don't keep our notes in the same place. Um, and then she talked about the silent stare. Just like that one right there, Andy. <laughs> it didn't work um, on me, though. <laughs> <laughs> Just how like powerful the silent stare is. She also <clears> talked <throat> about maybe kind of like changing her persona, right? I thought that was interesting. Yeah. yeah like she acting like... like a different person. <laughs> like that, that was kind of interesting to me. I've never thought about sort of playing coy in a user research interview. And yeah. being like, I don't know what's going on, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> Um, or even just changing how you approach that person yeah. to make them feel more comfortable. But it makes sense. Like I was thinking about it, I was like, it feels like you're kind of tricking people. But at the same time, I think it kind of makes sense because you don't want them to please you. If they know you're the designer of mm-hmm. this interface, then they may tend to lean toward trying to please you or or are tentative to give you um, you know, negative criticism. So. I think that goes towards like having, as you said, your face is biasing somebody. It goes <laughs> yeah. away from like taking your face out of biasing somebody <laughs> a little bit because it makes them more like we're on, I'm on the same side as the user at this point, just trying to figure this mm-hmm. out. Let's see, you know, what, if this is right or wrong, yeah. you know? So I thought that was really awesome. She yeah. almost like changed her voice too. Yeah. She like, like changed her character. Yeah. It was great. So she we, put that, <laughs> well, and in the thing, she put the fake mustache on and everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> That was weird. I think it was like Mission Impossible. She like peeled off her face. <laughs> yeah. Like if this was a video podcast, mm-hmm. you guys would have been blown away. She peeled her face right off, different person, and she slipped it right back on. She's back to Danielle again. Yeah. I'm excited to see her do that at the yeah. Launch UX too. Yeah. So lots of pressure. <laughs> but I think I think all of us designers, maybe we should take some acting classes, you know, just maybe <laughs> slip into Let's other people. Some, yeah, do some method acting or uh, that's method act. No, method act is where you like live like that person. Yeah, that's different. Yeah. See, I don't even know. Maybe some improv classes. You know, like Maybe. Uh, like your hero Michael Scott always did. He was always an improv guy, right? Is he my hero? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I figured. I figured he was. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. I do really like Michael Scott, but yeah, yeah. he's a wonderful guy. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Let's let's uh, should we end the podcast? I don't know. Should we? Let's end the podcast. This thing's just going. <laughs> We're gonna lose track. This thing's going off the rails. We're gonna lose track of this. You mean you don't want to spend any time talking about 
the new the new Slack logo. Oh, the new Slack logo. Yeah. Okay, I can talk. I can let's hang with the new Slack logo. I want to know your opinion before I say anything. I want to know your opinion about yeah. the new Slack logo. Um, I am getting sick of designers freaking out about logo redesigns. It's everybody hates it. Good job. Well, I don't know what's wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with the Slack logo. No, it's not like offensive. It's not bad at all. Nope. I can see the logo. I see it. It's a. It's an image, and I know what it is. It did its job. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. No. But everyone's like, "Oh, this is the worst thing ever." I yeah, would have looking at it right now. Would have done all these other different designs. Well, of course they would do all these. Of course, I, that's what bugs me about everyone when the new logo comes out. Is they go, "Well, I would have done it better," and I'm like, <laughs> "Well, then how come you didn't do it?" Oh, yeah. that's right, because you suck. Yeah. And they hired a better designer to do it. <laughs> like the only logo, the only logo that uh, there's only one logo that I think is just completely harsh and wrong, and that's the Airbnb logo. And I will stand by that <laughs> until the day I pass away. And go to heaven where all the nachos bel grande yeah. nacho fries are. That is the worst logo of all time. Really? All yes. time? No way. Yes. No way. For a, maybe not all time because a person designs a logo that's not really a logo. Like, okay, that might be worse. I mean, it doesn't have any papyrus font in it. I think it's it's okay. No, it's a, it's a, it's a, that one's a disaster. You could, that's inexcusable. Really? The Airbnb logo is inexcusable. It's not great, but it doesn't bother me. It just it looks like an animal's butt. <laughs> like you can't. It's true. <laughs> it's an animal's anus, Andy. <laughs> yeah, I totally see that. You can't. I but they totally and, and and this is you hired you hired a, a design agency to do that. And there's the whole controversy. Oh, did they borrow it? Did they blah, blah, blah. It doesn't, doesn't even matter. Like, stealing stuff doesn't matter because everybody steals everybody's stuff anyway. So it yeah, doesn't really matter. You're not going to really But, like, um, you went with, you, you saw something that looked like an anus and you went with it. <laughs> like, to me, that's not brave. That's stupidity. <laughs> well, yeah. But the, new, but the new Slack logo, like, there's nothing wrong with the new Slack logo. Not at all. And I know it was like made like out of little chat bubbles and stuff. It like makes sense to me. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. People are freaking out. Yeah, I don't People know. Are, there's the article about it looks like a swastika or something like that. <laughs> and I was like, well, every hubcap looks like a swastika. Then <laughs> okay, yeah. Like we're like we're looking at the park. I bet I could. We're looking at the parking lot here. There's probably twelve hubcap swastikas out there. Those are just like people if you that are, squint your eyes right. They're yeah. just looking for swastikas and everything. Yeah, it's a Freudian thing, probably. I'm like, no. And then, yeah. What are you trying to like? What are you trying to say about the new Slack logo? Either the agency is neo Nazis, <laughs> and it's this secret, like, uh, it's like this secret coup, right? To like figure that out, or or Slack is secretly a bunch of neo Nazi fascists. Yeah. Like, come on, who are these people? Who are these people, Andy? I don't know. I just I just think as designers, we need to realize that design is super subjective. Images are super subjective. And if you were to design something, a big time logo, everyone's going to dump all over it. Yeah. Everyone's going to talk about how much they hate it. It's like it's just ridiculous. So this is why you don't you design realize. logos. It's, it, first of all, it's why you don't design logos. <clears throat> and second of all, maybe you should realize... You weren't at all part of the discovery of that logo, the research of that logo, or, I mean, like any part of it, and you have no say or understanding as to how that was developed. Mm -hmm. uh, well, and so that makes me wonder, see, this make me, speaking of conspiracy theories, it makes me wonder if Airbnb, <laughs> they knew... They knew the tendency for designers to like completely freak out when they when you do a redesign. So they decided on purpose to make it look like a like a like a like an animal butt. If that is the case, that that would be the best troll ever. That would be the sweetest thing ever. They're like, yeah, we know it is, and look at the design community <laughs> freaking out over this thing. I'm gonna pay like thousands of dollars for this redesign <laughs> just and have it. I have a butt logo. <laughs> Just to get every designer angry, and it works great. <laughs> this is a bum. Props to Airbnb. I think man. it's great. I think I think the new Slack logo is great. 
Yeah, I don't think... I don't see a problem with it at all. I don't either. I mean, people have said, like, it looks like a bunch of ducks. I see that. Do you see the the little duck? Oh, I see the duck, yeah. Yeah. It's got... It even has a little Like ducks in, like, a circle. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it was that, it's cute. Well, are they... Then is Slack Slack neo-Nazis, or are they, like... Do they just like ducks? They might like ducks. Or are they neo-Nazi duck-loving? Like, are, is it a combination? That's a that's a really good question. I don't know if neo-Nazis. Or do they like? like ducks, it looks though. like a ninja star. Do they like ninja stars too? Mm, I don't know. It kind of looks like a flower too. <laughs> like it has a flower, <laughs> flower motif kind of. You know, uh-huh. it's flowerish. I think it looks like a lot of things, and we should probably sit here and list all the things that it like that it looks like, because mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that's what they're trying to get out of it. Yeah, no, I think it's a, I think it's a fine and dandy logo. I think yeah. it's better than the other logo. The other logo I don't mind, but the other logo had problems when applied to uh, small icons and things like that. Mm-hmm. It had some issues. Yeah. So I like that they cleaned that up so they could make it something <clears throat> that was more recognizable and different. Yeah, this one will scale. Sizes. This one will definitely scale. And I honestly like the purple background. People were hating on the purple background of the logo, like the logo yeah. bug or whatever you call it. I actually like it on my phone because I have nothing that has that same color on my phone. Mm-hmm. So it actually kind of spices it up a little bit. Everything, everything on my phone is like orange or like blue, blue or white. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the white. Uh, icon with the picture on the inside on your phone you're not no because it just it's kind of boring it's like all the google yeah google is all white for all the sure google stuff they're all white with the like logo and so they're uh, all yeah. boring you can't, like their Gmail, you can't tell the difference between their youtube what's yeah. a photo and what's a thing that's very true yeah slack is i think it works for me totally yeah it looks good see it looks good down there yeah it does so let's let's stop hating on it yeah, just... Everybody, chill out, dude. The guy who's the guy who's angry right now at the Slack logo. He's a <laughs> he's sitting over. He's a he's working at Cisco. He's nineteen levels deep in Cisco doing production design, and he's thinking he can do a better job at mm-hmm. designing the Slack logo. Well, why don't you crawl out of your basement and figure out how to design a, a better logo, dude? Yeah, like quit complaining and make a better logo. Logo design is freaking to hard me. too. Yeah, it is so hard to do. It's super hard. It's not just a thing you put on. It's, it has to represent your company. Yeah. It's a brand. It's part of your brand. It's part of your whole thing. Mm-hmm. And you want to put a hidden message in there like FedEx with the arrow and the and yeah. Slack with the swastika. You want, to put the whole, <laughs> <laughs> you, you want to put the whole hidden message in there. It's got to communicate your company. Yeah. And put a hidden message. And Those put are the something two secret in there. Distract people criteria. from yeah. the real thing that Slack <clears throat> is in charge of the world. Are they? I assume so. Really? I think Facebook has tried, but I think Slack's taken over. Ooh, I don't. I think Facebook is still up there. No, people hate Facebook though. Some people hate Facebook. Facebook is. Facebook is a drug dealer. Facebook's not. Slack is more like everybody. They're respectable and people follow. Everybody them, loves right? Slack. I don't yeah. know anybody. Well, who there's likes people Slack. that hate on Slack. Like, well, I got these Slack messages. I can't get my productivity's <laughs> down. And blah blah blah. It's like, yeah, go back to email and see how your productivity. I know exactly. Is, you asshole. <laughs> Facebook's kind of like the Christina Aguilera of of, <laughs> of uh, tech companies, right? Like, really? Like, there's there's talent. There's obvious. There's some obvious talent there, uh-huh. right? When you when you see when you see when you see the performance, it's like well, something weird's going on. But the, there's a voice there, right? And when you were a kid, you re- you had a crush on her. Yeah, genie in a bottle, man. Yeah, so there's like this weird. You're really conflicted as far as like, is this good? Is this bad? I don't know. Harkens back into a better day. I don't. I don't know. That's like Facebook. It's like yeah, when it first started, it was great. Mm-hmm. It was wonderful. And now you know it's a it's a freaking ticking time bomb and it's destroying the world. And there's some good ideas there maybe, but then when you use it, it just feels kind of dirty. Yeah, there's there's a backbone to Facebook that's just <laughs> they they have a they have a bad bad internals. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, Twitter's slowly turning that that direction too. Maybe yeah. So, but Slack anyway. is still the darling. I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll see you uh, in a few minutes. In a few minutes. <laughs> okay.